Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I remember playing this song when I was 12. For this boy, I'd written a song for this boy. And everybody knew in the school about it. And he threatened to beat me up if I played it. And it was going to be in front of the whole school, you know, assemblies. His name was John. Well, you know, I had braces and pigtails, and he was dating the girl, Sylvia, you know, 14, and should be, you know, um, on the front of a ship, you know, one of those. And the point is, (laughs) she, um, I sat there wetting my pants. I mean, my knees were water. He was sitting right there with all his cute friends. And, you know, what are you going to do? You're 12 years old. You have a crush on somebody. And you really want to say, you know, buddy, in 15 years, I'm not going to have braces anymore. And I'm not going to have my knees like water. And I might be an interesting person. And you know, you shouldn't be so mean to me. But adolescence is that time when I think it can be, it's the cruelest place on earth. It can really be um, heartless. And I played that song. And um, everybody knew what was going on. Needless to say, he didn't beat me up. And he came up to me and said, that was really better than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And I haven't heard from him since. So I think about that sometimes when I have to go play out in front of an audience. And I go, well, my knees are weak and they're full of water. No. No. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about China, a song from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. Hi, Eve. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Are you excited to talk about distance? Yeah. I mean, China? I'm hoping that I can bridge this distance between us and tear down the wall you've built around yourself by the time this episode is over. Great. I wish you the best of luck. (laughs) Of course, we're talking about the fact that China was originally copyrighted in 1987 
under the original title distance. This is like leftover from YKTR. I know. Almost. This is like old school. And can we just point out that Tori sometimes demonstrates a startling lack of ability to title her own songs? Like she gets there mm-hmm. eventually, but like, hmm, here's a song where, you know, the constant refrain and chorus is China. What should I call it? I know distance. Distance. It's like calling God when the wind blows or something. Oh, that like, would have been a good title. Sense. We what should it? do, we should go through all of the songs on the earthquakes and retitle them. Okay. And what would we call Crucify? Chains. Chains. Oh, that's a good one. Chains. What about girl? Uh, Everybody else's? Violins filled with water. Bluebells. Oh, bluebells. Screams from the bluebells. Screams from the bluebells. Mm. So we got Chains, Screams from the Bluebells. Screams from the Bluebells would be a good title for a movie. That would be. Chains, Screams from the Bluebells. Cracker. 25 bucks. (laughs) Or just here. I've been here. Here. Chains, Uh Screams from the Bluebells. Here. Make me come. Wash me clean. Okay, fine. Mittens. Oh. That's cute. This is like a weird new version of Le Poetry. Yeah. Since no one's playing it, we'll just do it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Since no one wanted to play Le Poetry, we're doing, retitle the songs. Happy Phantom, what would we call it? Time to be a ghost. Time to be a ghost. Yes, I love that. And now, distance. Distance. Here we are talking about China. (laughs) Let's get right into it. Okay. Here are some credits from the song... Acoustic piano and vocals by Tori Amos, bass by Matthew Seligman, drums by Chris Hughes, guitar by David Rhodes, string arrangement by David Lord, violin by Stuart Gordon, oboe by Will Gregory, recorded by Paul Corkett and Steve Williams, and produced by Ian Stanley. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this song? That's a lot of names associated with this song. Again, for something. That's a lot of dudes. It's a lush recording, I guess, but it's still kind of sparse. I'm always surprised to see how many people Mm -hmm. play on a song. Mm -hmm. You know, I love a Tory ballad. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the little earthquake songs that I think was a gateway for me that made the album more accessible. Yeah. And you know, when people, (laughs) including like my family members were like, wanting to get to the bottom of why I was in love with Tori and like what it was about her music and they wanted to hear it, I would always play China for them because it was like safe. And I thought that might be like the most accessible thing from the album for someone else, maybe. I don't know. I can see that, especially knowing the little that I know about your family, that this might be like something that they would respond to, especially if your mom was really into like Neil Diamond and like just the safer kind of adult contemporary or easy listening rather. Yeah. So I can see why this might appeal to them. Compared to a Precious Things or whatever. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Like, you're not going to play me in a gun. Yeah. I had the opposite reaction. And it's funny that in 1992, across the plains, (laughs) we were having different experiences where it was like, I would skip this song. This is the song that I wouldn't necessarily play for anyone. Because I thought the others were so vulnerable and so naked. And I felt like this one was a little too saccharine when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I guess I couldn't access that, like what I was feeling, but like, I just didn't connect with it as much the others now of course of course everything i connect with everything and i love it now but you know like in my first iteration of myself i can see you at 13 lighting up a cigarette rolling your eyes when china came on and hitting (laughs) basically (laughs) yeah basically like i want more i want more tori give me more 
Well, you know, I was like a moony, emotional kid that loved like romantic ballads and I would make a lot of mixtapes back in the day and just sit there in my room listening to them, hoping and praying that one day I would experience the emotion <laughs> of love. <laughs> <with> these songs <laughs> and China probably fits that mold too. Oh, it's not that I didn't like China. Here's the thing is when you have an album of this caliber, Little Earthquakes across the board is phenomenal. So when I say like I didn't connect with something, I still connected with it. You know what I mean? I liked it just by nature of the fact of what it was on and the fact that it was on Little Earthquakes. But my mixtapes would consist of like a precious thing. I wanted to shock people. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I wasn't, I never had, I guess, that feeling of don't expose myself. I really wanted to freak people out. You and Tori both. Yeah. <laughs> We And we did. And we did. I get that. This is obviously the most traditional song on the album. So it's just maybe not as interesting, let's say, compared to everything else that seemed fresh and experimental. Well, what is interesting about it, and I think the most interesting thing to me about China, and I'm really excited to get into it, is how it ended up on this album. It was the last song added to the album, right? Like mm -hmm. one of the very last songs added to the album. If not this one, it was Mina Gunn in this one, right? Yep. In a session produced by Ian Stanley later, post the Caton tracks, post the Eric Ross tracks, after things had been dumped from the album, it was like, oh, we have China and we have Mina Gun. Now the album's done. Mm -hmm. First one written, last one added. Yeah. That's an interesting sort of cyclical thing, if you think about it, that coming off of Why Can't Tori Read, obviously this is one of the first songs that was written for Little Earthquakes because it was copywritten. You can assume that it was in its entirety, right? Mm -hmm. At least written and demo recorded. But being copywritten in 87 tells you it's the closest then to her style. What do you think this song, what key does this song have in that transition? Yeah, I'm surprised that she would sort of hang on to something from that era. Me too, yeah. And include it, you know, on what we consider her debut album. So I think it meant something to her, but there was also not pressure, but it was suggested to her that she add it to the album. And I think, you know, the label or whatever suits were involved sort of pushed to make that happen, maybe because they felt like it was more commercial. Mm -hmm. So there was something accessible they could add to the album and they were kind of honing what it was going to be. I mean, it is very commercial. It is a love song. It is a ballad. It is a song about lost love or you know it is very commercial and it's universal in a feeling and i think that that's maybe that's why it stuck out a little bit to me like you said earlier like in an album filled with experimental tracks and raw moments this perhaps seemed the least daring mm -hmm. which makes sense considering when it was written so right she was not yet in her daring phase though she thought she was yeah her style changed yeah for sure but i think she's always had a tendency to write songs like this just sort of a you know emotionally bare traditional ballad that's one of the things she excels at i think yeah i agree absolutely and we'll see like a return to this form i think in a couple of years once we get to the beekeeper and once we get to the later albums i think that we'll see a return to very much this china style mm. i don't think china's too far removed from like a baker baker either though I'm taken back to a quote from the Under the Pink era where she says, I've just written a line for a song. Nothing is all you wanted, but I'm cutting that line because it's boring. It's not saying anything. Nothing is all you wanted. Big deal. Like, you know, as a writer, I'm trying to like get to something more meaty. And I think that the lyrics for Baker Baker, or at least the refrain for Baker Baker is like version D where she's cut out all the crap, where she's cut out everything that is maybe too obvious or too on the nose mm -hmm. and come at it from a different angle. And that's what I think makes Baker Baker so much more heartbreaking than China for me. 
It's because China's a little on the nose. Yeah, I love that. And Tori's always said that she has to hunt down the words or chase the words down. So having her say something like that is a window into that process of her really perfecting her lyrics. Yes. Now, perhaps we started a little bit off because I don't want to sound like China bashers. I love China. A lot of people love China. In fact, I know a girl who likes China and her name is Dorothy Dotson. (laughs) And she's going to be on this episode. Girl who loves China. The girl who loves China. She's going to be our super fan. We'll be talking to her today a little later on to find out everything about China from a woman's perspective. I'm not sure she has the same relationship with it now as she did. So that'll be interesting to get into. Uh, Yeah, I definitely want to know what her relationship with it, because it's no longer 1992. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to know what her relationship with it was back in the day when she was hunting it down obsessively. Then I want to know her relationship to it now, 28 years later. As we record this. I'm disappointed every day when I wake up and realize it's not 1992. Same. So we all grow up with the songs and our thoughts on the songs change. And eventually I think the songs become sort of a warm blanket. Songs that really helped us through tough times. Which I suspect must be the situation with China and Endor. Mm. Because it's she's the super fan. But songs that have really helped me through tough times. It's interesting when you've worked through it to go back and be like, ah, yes. <laughs> I was so naive. I'm glad I've somehow managed to avoid attaching any Tory song to a specific person. Me too. Relationship. Me too. I'm like, Tory's mine. Yeah. You're not going to taint this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have songs that are attached to several like different relationships and several different people as sort of a quilt yes. or a tapestry. A of rich the, tapestry. A rich tapestry of experiences that that song has guided me through. Mm-hmm. But it's still mine. It's not. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and you know, I'm taken back to when Tori always says these songs have experiences and they go out there. When I put them out there and then people have their own relationships with them and they become something completely different beyond my control. And I really understand what she means as we're talking about this like mm-hmm. this. We also have another guest on our show. His name is Matthew Seligman. He played the bass on China and we're going to talk to him we reached out to all those guys I wanted to get like a round table I wanted to get all the guys you know like on a panel mm-hmm. phone call like 28 years later behind China and then like have them all sit around and, and talk about it <laughs> Like, what was your experience? But the fact of the matter is, is like she recorded it live and then they played over top of what she laid down. So they probably weren't even all in the same room together right. at the same time. And, you know, the the bass and drums probably only really kick in during the bridge. Right. Where the song kind of explodes. So yeah. they maybe play on like 20 seconds yeah. of the song. But I, it's about the record. I want to get the exp- I want to get anyone who was in that room or in a room recording anything for the earthquakes. I want their reflections on Tori, on the time. And next, our next episode episode leather we already have someone lined up for that who played guitar on that Mm -mm. so it's really exciting to just hear what people think of that time now 30 years later Mm -hmm. like was it a good memory do they hold good memories of it things like that hopefully they have a memory i know well (laughs) we've you know we've interviewed as you know people who don't have memories because it's been so long yeah but in general i would say across the board everybody is willing to talk to us because they had such a good time with tori and they really found a magical moment in their experience that's been the common thread with every single person that Mm -hmm. we've interviewed is Mm -hmm. that it was a very positive experience she's a consummate artist she's extremely generous and And professional i just never tire of hearing that i know (laughs) like we we stand a good one 
So those are our guests for today's show. Before we jump into actually talking about the track and getting into the quotes and stuff, how did your parents react to the song? And how did your family react to the song when you took it to them? I'm sure they found it pleasant. They were just constantly baffled by Tori and seemed to consider it like annoying folk music, which I found incredibly offensive. Like folk music? This what do I look like? Girls. Seriously. It was just all very strange to them. Still is, I think, but... The music or your fascination with it or both? The music. I just remember my mom saying a couple times, she's different. She's different, all right. <laughs> Especially when they'd see her like interview kind of on TV. But not like saying it rude. Yeah. yeah. I've heard people, oh, that's interesting. Uh -huh. If that's the kind of music you want, I guess you got it. Should we get into the music? Let's do it. All right. We're going to start with a string quartet tribute to Tori Amos. This is the Vitamin String Quartet and their version of China. And we'll be right back. I know we've had some fun with Tori-inspired slang for um, female anatomy, and by that I primarily mean... The Virginia. But I would like to propose um, the China. The China? Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know that that one's going to stick. Well, we'll see. Let we'll the audience decide. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a poll on our Instagram, at Songs of Tori Amos. China appears on Little Earthquakes, released January 13th, 1992 in the UK, and February 25th, 1992 in the United States of America. Finally nailed down that date. Still, yeah, I mean, those <laughs> dates. China was also released on 7-inch and CD single in the UK and Europe in January of 1992. And here's what it says in the collectibles book. Tori's third UK single, The Exquisite China, sadly only reached number 51 on the UK charts. The single included the magnificent and previously unreleased B-sides, Sugar and Flying Dutchman, as well as Tori's curious interpretation of Humpty Dumpty. The UK China CD single is packaged in a jewel box. China would be the last 12-inch single released until God in August 1994. Mm -hmm. Do you remember getting this single? I do. Me too. I have a very clear memory, and we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. It was also released on cassette 
in the UK on January 20th, 1992. It appeared on Little Earthquakes VHS music video released October 1992. There was a blister pack released in France in June 93, the China blister pack. And then it didn't appear anywhere again until a piano, November 2006. China also appeared on the Fade to Red video collection, of course, released in 2006. Two Legs and Boots, Boston, recorded October 19th, 2007, and Chicago, November 5th, 2007. It was also performed live in Montreux, that very first show, probably the first live performance we have from her, that was finally released on DVD in September 2008. And we'll get into that too, but that's with like the crazy improvise you love to hit hit me me boy boy. i know china what's happening she also performed it on live from the artist den in 2010 and it appeared on from russia with love the live release from december 2010 and of course on the little earthquakes deluxe reissue from april 2015 you ask do i remember getting the single and oh boy do i remember getting the single (laughs) Tell me. So I would shop at Hastings on El Paseo in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and my aunt had offered, I think it was for my birthday, to buy me a CD, any CD I wanted. And then I was going through the Tori Amos section, and then there was the Crucify EP that I didn't have, and there was like another single that I didn't have. And I was like, these are cheaper than a CD. And so she actually was very, very cool about it, and she bought me all the Tori stuff that I didn't have, right? Which did not include China. So I thought, there I was, sitting pretty on my horse, high horse, my Winter horses. Your winter horse, of course. Yeah. yeah. Assuming I had everything. I didn't know about this collectibles book. I didn't have that. There was no internet. And one day I walk into Hastings a year or two years later, and <laughs> there is this beautiful German slim jewel case. The thing about this China single was not only was it beautiful, the artwork was beautiful, you know, but also the CD itself was CDs aren't like mirrors, you know, they're fuzzy. They're fuzzy mirrors. <laughs> but this CD single, the China was so, it was like a mirror. It's very, very clear. I could see my reflection in it. It was just beautiful. It was beautiful. I loved everything about it. And it had songs that the other singles that I had didn't have. It had Humpty Dumpty. It had Sugar. It had Flying Dutchman. Yes. I screamed. I was like, what is that? Like, I was, yes, I was living. <laughs> scream. I did. I was in living the of Hastings. for that single for at least a month after I bought it. Yes, that's all I would play. Those new songs oh my god i lived for it yes i remember it clearly what about you this single is stacked those Mm b-sides are great Mm -hmm. i mean they all Mm -hmm. were and this was you know i that was the best experience was like you said like finding a new tory single especially if you didn't know that it existed yes and every time when i would play it from start to finish i was like this woman is incapable of writing a bad song not only that but every single song is amazing Mm -hmm. and i need to listen to it again right away and yeah the artwork itself and the cd they're beautiful i loved the red hair tori font Mm -hmm. right she was branded yeah back in the day like she really had kind of a consistent (laughs) consistent packaging i loved it i think that by the time that i got the single i had already seen the video you know i had the little earthquakes video the vhs I just was so naive, I guess. I didn't know how music worked, that the fact that there was a video meant that there was a single, which meant that there were B-sides. Like, none of that occurred to me until years later, Mm -hmm. you know, in the way that things were released and things like that. But yes, that red hair, the curls, everything about it. I loved the experience of China singling. 
<laughs> she looks great on the cover too mm -hmm. with that straight hair she yeah. got a blowout <laughs> yeah she got a blowout that day what do you think about her being known for her wild red hair at this point right this yeah. is her signature hair what do you yeah. what do you think about her straightening it for this video it's like carrie bradshaw season two right <laughs> she had straight hair it's like, mm. what's happening recognize this woman what? but she's so striking especially on the cover of china with the red lipstick she's fair mm -hmm. the shocking red hair mm -hmm. i don't know yeah she's beautiful it's gorgeous here's a little bit more from the collectibles book the french china cd single comes in a cardboard sleeve featuring an edited version of china three minutes and 55 seconds and according to the sleeve an edited version of flying dutchman at six minutes and 29 seconds the actual timing of flying dutchman though is six minutes and 31 seconds so the sleeve is a misprint Flying Dutchman being a B-side was never issued in an edited version. The graphics on the French version are unique in that they place Tori's name at the top of the sleeve instead of at the bottom, as in all other releases. The title China appears on the right-hand side of the sleeve as opposed to the left-hand side on previous releases. The lettering is far bolder and more prominent than the UK and German versions. The cassette single was packaged in a blister pack. The French Crucify and Cornflake Girl cassette singles were also packaged this way. What do you think, and then it has a caveat to say, timings frequently vary incorrectly when the same single is issued in several countries. Mm. Which version did you get? I think it was just the, I think it was the same one you had. The Slim, yeah. oh my God, I love, I still have that. I mean, I know that's what it was, but I'm trying to remember because they always had like a, a made-in sticker. I mm -hmm. think mine was made in, in Germany. Germany. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it occurs to me now that like, okay, the CD was pressed or digitized or whatever. How I don't know how that makes CDs, but it was whatever happened, happened. Because in the middle, it's like, you know, it looks like a CD, but then the edges are just like crystal clear like a mirror. So that mm -hmm. must be the part that's not being used, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not written to. Uh -huh. But um, I don't know. I, I loved it. I really did. God, it was so easy to become a Tory collecting fanatic yeah. back then with all these alternate formats. I know. And... I know. I'm like going through the collectibles book still to this day, <laughs> trying to <laughs> assess everything and figure it out. It only goes through Boys for Pele, right? Yeah, this one only goes through Boys for Pele. If you are a collector and you are not in the collectory on Facebook, what are you doing with your life? <sighs> I love going into that group, even though I'm, my collection is strange. Is it? Eclectic. So yes. strange. My collection mostly is vinyl, t-shirts. Oh, I have a big Tory t-shirt collection now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But mostly you collect memories. I collect... Not things. Yeah, I collect podcast episodes that uh -huh. I've done about each song. That's what I collect. <laughs> Did you see someone posted a China birthday cake that their uh -huh. boyfriend had yes. made for them? Yes, <laughs> I've so seen that online. Awesome. I think it was like a Barbie. Right. And then the cake, the like cake. there's the pile of rocks. Yeah, it's like the Barbie was standing up and it was built around, built below, like as a skirt yeah yeah um what kind of cake would someone make you to show you how much they loved you a hotel uh, cake a dairy-free cake a donut <laughs> no a dairy-free cheesecake hmm. yeah so out there if you love me you can send a dairy-free cheesecake do it to the sideways society should we get into the quotes let's quote it quote it up this is from december 1991 and we have a couple from 1991 this one's from the daily telegraph and tori says after all just because something happened to me and it was traumatic doesn't make it interesting i have to get my scissors out and make sure i'm telling a story that works it may be your own experience but you can't be too precious and that's kind of like what we were talking about earlier where in the 1994 quote that we'll get to when we get to under the pink wink wink where she talks about nothing is all i ever wanted well i don't want to 
write something so obvious. Mm-hmm. You just kind of got to be not precious about it. She's given a couple examples of lyrics that she's ditched over mm-hmm. the years because they were too obvious for or whatever. But I, I remember this quote. For some reason, her saying, I need to get my scissors out, really stuck with me. And I was like, oh, she's a storyteller. She like takes her experience, but she has to, you know, dress it up and make it interesting. She's going to get her scissors out and cut off little curls of her hair uh-huh. and put them on the CD cover. <laughs> You want to read this from What's On Birmingham on December 21st, 1991? Yes, I do. Tori says, I didn't feel worthy of love, but there's also that element of enjoying the suffering. Some people enjoy suffering. Some enjoy implementing it. And there's the third type who want both. Where would the abuser be if the victim didn't provide the whips? I look back and see I chose to be a victim. I relinquished my power by needing validation from others. I think needing validation from others is, you know, a recurring theme on all of this album, mm-hmm. really, and Tori's work in general. What do you think she means by kind of enjoying the suffering, particularly as it pertains to China? She's not necessarily talking about China with this quote, but... Sometimes people say in order to be a great artist, you have to kind of go through that pain and that suffering. And the people that kind of fall into it the most or fall into that mindset the most, in my experience, has been artists who feel like, oh, I need to live a certain lifestyle or I need to constantly be in pain because it fuels my art and it creates true and valid expression. Mm -hmm. I think as you grow older and you grow up and you find some kind of peace in your life, you realize that that's not necessarily true, that you don't have to be crawling on your knees to make art or to be an artist or to be a musician in this case. And maybe that's what she means. Like she was constantly looking for people to validate her and it wasn't working out. It's not as if she was having this constant need for validation and men were validating her and people were validating her and then she was at the top of the charts then she you know put out this why can't tori read that just exploded you know she it wasn't as if she was getting anything out of it really Mm. so it was easier to see like what am i doing so maybe that what do you think tori's also talked a lot about patterns and i think that's something we all experience we're drawn to certain types of people Mm -hmm. and she's talked about one of her challenges being drawn to emotional vampires or energetic vampires Maybe that's kind of what's happening here in this song. You know, clearly it's about someone who's emotionally unavailable. So maybe she had a tendency to attract that type of person. Why don't you read this from the Little Earthquake songbook in 1992? Okay. The fifths in the bass represent the beginning of an ancient ceremony. This ceremony took me to China, took me to the kitchen table where most wars get nurtured. I've always felt China and secrets are good friends. This song was the first written on Little Earthquakes. I love when she'll just pepper things in like that. Like, yeah, the fifth represent an ancient ceremony. You know, you know the one. You know, the one in China. <laughs> yeah, that ancient Chinese ceremony. You anyway. Know. But I hear what she's saying. And when, she, when I read, I didn't get that necessarily from listening to the song, but reading that quote and then, oh yeah, I can see that in those fifths. What she's trying to do. This quote is very on brand for Tori too. We have a war at the kitchen table. Mm. She loves that. She's always talking about what's going on right. under the table. I'll sit or... down across from your God. <laughs> yeah. I'll lick your God in the eye. Give me a pancake. Do you think this song was written with that in mind? I guess if you, when we get into the line by line, we can look at it more, but it's interesting if you're talking about this quote, China all the way to New York, she's starting us in China and then she's taking us to New York where presumably she may be at that moment or the narrator may be at that moment. So I can see kind of we're going, we're taking it from a war into our own personal war. Mm-hmm. Why do you think China? Like, why did she choose China? Do you think she just liked the metaphor or kind of the dual meaning of the country and uh, kind of plates, no. broken plates? No, I, I think that has a lot to do with the wall. The fact that there's of a course. wall between them. Yeah. 
and then it's the Great Wall of China. Mm, you're right, of course. Oh, and maybe it's some broken plate. <laughs> and maybe she just was eating Chinese food. Probably. She was sitting with rants in the apartment. Who knows? <laughs> Let's talk about this quote from the Keyboard Review from the UK, February 1992. I love uprights to compose on. Old uprights because the sound is real edgy. I like that. I use a Yamaha CP80 Electric Grand Live because it packs in boxes. If I could have a Yamaha acoustic up there, I would. The CP80 has no edge, but at the same time, it's consistent, and I can't rely on someone getting me a piano that might have no action. Each piano is different. Some Busendorfers are great. Some work for one song, but not for another. Pianos are like people. Every piano has a completely different personality. Explains Tori. Indeed, she's had some difficulty in getting pianos that have a good sustain. That's half my sound. I use the sustain pedal like another instrument. And she's quite dismissive of modern electronic pianos. You can put people on the moon, but you can't recreate a piano. However, she's not a Luddite. She used Kurzweil synthesizers on her album and EP. The songs that weren't orchestrated, I played quite a bit on the sample strings. I played with the piano and I could keep up with myself. Most of it was freestyle playing. Says Tori, who prefers the natural feeling created by a free tempo rather than the precision of working with a click track. Pauses, feeling, that's what we miss so much when the machines don't stop. On China, it was freestyle. My God, did those strings have to keep up. China was just a piano vocal live performance, and everything was built around that. She was freestyling that China. Ch-ch-China. Ch-ch-China. China. 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 <laughs> Interesting to hear her talk about using different pianos mm-hmm. and, you know, some being good for one song but not another. I don't feel like that was true again after this point. With Under the Pink, she, like, lo- with the exception of, you know, like, the prepared bells for her piano or right. whatever, right, right, right. she locked in that boozy, well, and she's used it for pretty much everything exactly. since. Exactly. This is a woman who has who cannot yet afford a boozy, yeah. <laughs> so saying, like, ah, boozies are great, but sometimes you just want a Yamaha that packs in boxes, you know? <laughs> I think that has a lot to do with it. But I'm once sure she, you're right. Once she was gifted or bought that $35,000... At least. I think it's least. way more than that. Was it more than I that? I think it's like hundred grand. Oh, was it? I think. I didn't mean to undersell. <laughs> and she's got a couple of them. Once she bought those pianos or got those pianos, they're good for every song. How about uh-huh. that? How about she's that, guys? Like, I take it back. I take it back. We're using this on every song. Uh-huh. Yes. But that's where Tori was in 1992. She was packing her keyboard in boxes. I remember us talking about this at a certain point. They would provide her a piano. Every venue had to provide her a piano. And if they couldn't provide her a piano, that's when she would play the Yamaha CP80. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there was ever a time when they provided her with a piano on the tour that she was like, no, I'm not using this. This is trash. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, honey. And like petting the piano. But you're garbage. It's like that piano shopping video. I know. Where she goes that video. and then she goes wild and she's like, yeah, this one's fine. Let's play We're a- not necessarily getting along that well. Let's play a little, let's, let's play that part here. Okay. To me, pianos are real things, real beings. And um, this one and I aren't really communicating that well. I mean, we don't have an incredible vibe. It's okay. It's like you're not going to date every guy you meet. That doesn't mean you can't, like, have a cup of coffee with them or something. We understand that, you know, it's not a marriage. Oh, I love that video. I know. That was an unfiltered look at Tori. Mm-hmm. When did you see that video? 
It was late. Yeah. Like semi, I mean, probably within like the last 10 years. Yeah. I saw it like around Scarlet's Walk, uh -huh. Beekeeper era yeah. is when it surfaced. Mm -hmm. I love that people kept digging things up. Mm -hmm. And still do. <laughs> yeah. Still do. Thanks to people like Lisa Ridlon, the high priestess of bootlegs, still uncovering things we've never heard before. Thanks, Lisa. And also Lori Christie, the mistress of the image. Of the obscure photo. There's never been a Tori Amos image she hasn't found and archived and logged. Thanks, Lori. I hope people give us titles one day. Me too. From Rolling Stone, 18th of December, 2009. So we're going to jump ahead. She doesn't speak on China for 17 years. Can you believe her? No one asked her. Well, that's true. Who's Poppy? Talk about China. Right. Finally. This is my new single, God, but what I'd really like to talk about is China. <laughs> so from Rolling Stone, December 18th, 2009, she says, love song. There's been a side to me that's always been drawn to heart-wrenching love songs. And sometimes I find that you don't get those necessarily just in the contemporary singer-songwriter world, but also with musical theater. Gershwin classics. I think that China probably came after a big bout of listening to Barbara Streisand. Because, you know, if anyone can break your heart, she could. I could see that. China being inspired by, you know, the kind of standards. In China. That... <laughs> is that, that your Barbara? <laughs> the best I could do. <laughs> yeah, but I agree with you. I can see it coming out of like those sappy, meant to please, easy listening and diva. Mm -hmm. How about this quote from the Little Earthquakes re-release liner notes from 2015? There were suits who began to sit back and watch people react to these songs and think, hold on a minute. Sometimes it was even the suits themselves who reacted. China had been one of the first songs to emerge during the writing process for Little Earthquakes. But because it didn't seem to fit stylistically into the first version of the album, it had been put aside. Later, after she'd relocated to London and was working with Max Hole, the general manager of East West Records, she got the song out again and played it for Hole and Atlantic Records CEOs Doug Morris and Ahmet Ertigan. Ahmet really had a response to it, so both Max and Doug encouraged me to record it. It was one of the final songs recorded, but it was written early on. Do you think when she says she pulled it out for him, that she pulled out a demo recording that she had done? Or do you think she played it, just for, played it for him? I kind of think she played it. She's yeah. told a few stories like that. Like, oh, I invited whoever over to my apartment and played them leather. Yeah. Or I played them China. Can you yeah. imagine these people getting like a command? Lucky. One-on-one <laughs> -on -one Tory performance. Yes. I'd love to try to get Doug Morris on the show, which pie in the sky. That's like probably the top of my wish list. Aim high. Why not? I have. I'm going to try. Well, I'm glad they've encouraged her to record it. And I'm glad that Ahmet had a, such a strong reaction to it. Otherwise, we might not be hearing it today. I know. We still don't have Learn to Fly. Berlin Wall. Berlin Wall. We got the Great Wall of China instead of the Berlin Wall. She could only have one wall on her one, album. That's true. She didn't want to be the wall girl. <laughs> Berlin. Is that how it goes? Yeah. <laughs> this is from the Super Deluxe Edition, April 14th, 2015. And this is an interview with Chris Hughes, who drummed on China, who we tried to get on our show. How did you come to work on Little Earthquakes? I think he's British, but I'm not going to put everyone through that. Pretty much everyone Tori works with is British. So. Ian Stanley, obviously a mate from Tears for Fears, etc., had the job of producing Tori's album. He was involved with quite a lot of it, in and out. At the point where he got me involved, there was one track that was quite complex and a bit odd in terms of timing, and he gave me the task of taking it apart and re-editing the whole thing. I can't remember, but he maintains I did an amazing job of a couple of bits of pieces on the record, doing edits and tightening things up. There was one track where they wanted to turn it into more of a single, and I think Ross Cullum was involved in mixing. He didn't record anything as far as he remembers. We were at Olympic Studios, and I played the drums on a couple of bits and pieces, some of which got used and some I don't think did. You're credited with playing drums on China, which was also a single. That track also features Will Gregory on oboe, Ross Cullum mixed it, and Ian Stanley produced it. So it has the most Tears for Fears input. That's right! The thing is, at the time, the standard way that Ross, Ian, and myself worked, and actually this was the case on the Propaganda, 
Propaganda album was that one of us would be working on an album and there'd be a track that was a problem track. You know, I'd be working on a track and the rhythm would be fine, but there would be a chord progression that was not quite right or some harmonies that I didn't think were good. And I'd phone Ian up and say, Ian, mate, come and listen to this track. Tell me what's wrong with it. And he'd come in and mess around on the keyboard and say, you could take the bridge to this place or change a chord here and spend an afternoon working on it and invariably make it better. And similarly, he'd be working on a track and he'd call me up and say, I've got this song up. The jump isn't right. The rhythm doesn't feel very good. Can you come over? And quite often, I'd go over to where he was working and would recommend re-editing the drums or doing some programming. There was never any money involved. We'd always just go in on each other's sessions and help each other. That relationship was in full swing at the time he was doing the Tory record. So he was at the helm, and on a couple of pieces, he wheeled in people he knew. In those days, he'd send me a dat or a cassette because obviously he couldn't email music across. So that's what happened with Tory stuff. It wasn't just one day. It was on a number of occasions where he'd say, have a listen to this. What do you think? And then I'd go and help him. That was the climate in terms of what was going on. I love that. And I love that these really distinguished guys, Ian Stanley from Tears for Fears, incredible producer. I love that these really distinguished players are working together on this thing and bits and pieces of other things and like, hey, play on this. And like, it makes it seem like a labor of love rather than a job or a process, you Mm -hmm. know? And so collaborative. Yeah. And when you've got a lot of perspectives or input from a lot of different people, I think it can only be better. Yeah. When you have different perspectives, obviously you can make something stronger when you're trying to do it all on your own. Agreed. Let's play this cover of China by Valen Su. I think I'm saying that right. She's a Taiwanese pop star. Have you heard of this cover, David? No, I don't think so. By Valen Su. It's a cover of China musically, but the lyrics are different. Um, And the song itself is renamed Butterfly. these lyrics to the people david i do okay do it the butterfly the butterfly will never fly again when my heart finds a place it can snuggle up to i get close to you in bed day and night although human beings are more fragile than flower stamens that's no little, they're not lovely so why do why do we think what's what's going on here we're not doing a line by line of valence's oh my gosh we song, should but we should um i get close to you although human beings are more fragile than flower stamens like a flower stamen's pretty fragile and we're more fragile so the fact that i get close to you day and night and my heart finds a place it can snuggle up to but you won't love me i'm broken well you really dove in i mostly meant why would someone take the melody of a song and just write no. <laughs> wordier, write wordier i interpreted what you were asking we talked off air about maybe like it just didn't trans like the lyrics to china just didn't translate 
or make sense. Mm-hmm. But looking at these lyrics, I have a hard time believing that because they're a lot Different. more wordy yeah. and complicated. Happiness so. is such a dazzling torture. Isn't it? Like a flower when it opens, I want to wither and fall. You leave me, I'm, I'm totally, totally okay, okay about, about it. it. I don't care for how it will be. The butterfly, the butterfly will never fly again. When I start having vivid dreams once more, I am completely unaware that I've given my all. Although I haven't got a clue who you are. Good fortune is such a fragile thing to possess. Like a butterfly, it's most beautiful. I cannot but cry. Do you think she was trying to rhyme butterfly with butt cry? You leave me, I'm totally okay about it. I don't care for how it will be. This song is all over the place. Seriously. Is she upset or does she not care? Do you think this artist also has a song called China? That's the melody of Butterfly with totally different lyrics. Oh. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Like Tori Amos's Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, should we do the line by line? Sure. China, all the way to New York. So we open the song already traveling. We're traveling from one location to another. So the song technically starts in China. But we're headed to New York. Is the narrator on a plane? That's how I've always pictured it, that she's on a plane with Mm. this person Mm -hmm. that's pulling away from her slowly. Mm. I guess being on a plane increases sort of attention because you can't get away from someone. Mm. They are next to each other. Is it because of the quote we read earlier that takes you to China? Probably. And do we think this is at all grounded in a literal experience? Do we think Tori traveled to China in the middle of the demise of a relationship? Or well, that's that a really interesting just... thought because I never considered that she had traveled to China. But what if she had? People take trips all the time. <laughs> I've heard. That would be really interesting to know that she wrote this coming back from China. It's possible. <laughs> or that she, at the age of 24 or 23, coming off White Country, was like, I need a break. Yeah. I need to go to China. That was part of her, you know, post-album routine. She'd mm-hmm. go to Hawaii. She'd go to you never China. Know. You know, things from about Why Can't Tori Read are coming up all the time. And maybe they sent her to China to try to promote the album to an Asian market. Sometimes things don't stick here. But like Edward Furlong, he had a CD that was very popular in Japan. And kind of like, you know, David Hasselhoff being mm-hmm. huge in Germany. Exactly. <laughs> maybe they're like, Tori, get on a plate to China. What Go if Tori became this- an, you know, a popular Asian pop star? Whoa. Or a pop star popular in Asia and that was her market. I wish I could type in Chinese so that I could Chinese Google. <laughs> So like a Chinese Google, why can't Tori read? <laughs> what if they're obsessed with that album? It's, it's possible. Very Not really. Possible. But it's very possible. <laughs> they love good music there. I can feel the distance getting close. There's kind of an interesting disconnect there, right? With a distance getting close. Yeah, that's a very good point. To me, that means she's becoming aware that her relationship is falling apart. Right. Whoever this person is, is sort of pulling away mm-hmm. from her. The distance between us, this unspoken thing between us is getting closer and closer. Mm-hmm. It's approaching the point where we can't ignore it. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about this. Have you ever felt that way in a romantic relationship? Oh, hundreds of times. Where it's like, you know, it's inevitably coming. Yeah. I identify with that line a lot. I can feel the distance getting close. Like, uh oh. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? It is. It's a really terrible feeling. Yeah. You Interesting if you set this song in an airplane, if they're in an airplane and she says, you're right next to me, but I need an airplane. Like, this is the only way I can get close to you. 
is to be stuck on this plane traveling from China to New York. It's never occurred to me that this might be set in a plane for that line and therefore changes, but I need an airplane. Because obviously an interpretation is you're right next to me, but I need an airplane because the distance between us is so far, it's so yeah. huge, so expansive, I can't even reach you. So I need to, I would need an airplane to get to you because you're so far away from me right now. Yes. But if you've set it in an airplane, it also has that layer of even to be next to you, I have to have this like construct. For some reason, I do always picture being in flight that this song is sort of evocative of that, like flying overnight when they turn all the lights off in mm -hmm. the cabin and it's mm -hmm. really quiet. Mm -hmm. And I can just picture her sitting there like wondering like what's going on? Why is this person like suddenly not available to me? Like what am I going to do about this? Let's hope she had a window seat. Yeah. The window seat is the best place to do your best wondering. Yes. At night on a night flight. Of course. You gaze out. At the nothing. Mm -hmm. Except for like the, the blinking lights of the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> the abyss. I can feel the distance as you breathe. So they're close enough for her to feel the breath and feel the distance. She doesn't say I can hear the distance or sense the distance. I can feel the distance as you breathe. So she's laying next to someone, and I think that's very likely, like it's on a plane, night flight, or in a bed, whatever, but they're laying together, and she can feel him breathing. She loves to talk about breath. Yeah. Breathe you in. She's talked about breathing you in being one of the most beautiful images that she could come up with, mm. you know, thinking that was really beautiful. So what about this, as he breathes, or as the person breathes, you just feel like this space between you. Yeah, I always imagine that the person's sleeping and she's just sort of on her own feeling isolated and alone even though she's technically with someone Sometimes I think you want me to touch you that captures really perfectly the giant question mark that hangs over a disintegrating relationship like you've meant so much to me and we've had such a important relationship or meaningful relationship that as it's falling apart or as we're breaking up i want to make it better i want to like reach out to you and say hey let's talk about it or let's do something about it but you don't allow me to even laying in bed together like i can't get through or there's like a yearning to just sort of like recapture what we had Maybe before I wouldn't hesitate to mm -hmm. touch you mm -hmm. if I wanted to, but now I'm feeling like I need to be invited. Something's changed, mm -hmm. right? You think, I mean, obviously the Great Wall is a reference to the fact that they've come, they've just flown back from China. They've just flown in from China. They've gotten into their Airbnb. Tori saw the Great Wall for the first time and she was like, oh, right. right. That's what's happening. Right, right. <laughs> in your eyes, I saw Past tense? Yes. At the beginning, when everything is full of promise and you think maybe you're going to be with this person forever. And then it all just starts to slip away, doesn't it? Yeah, and then you look away in the distance. Oh, you just look away in the distance. And there goes the future. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the future's kind of... Drifting away Drifting slowly. away, I guess is a good word for it. The future's kind of drifting away out of his eyes. Mm. You know, as he looks away, it, like this, it slips away, like disintegrates away. Poor Tori. China decorates our table. 
Okay, here we include the divisive metaphor. Mm. Which Tori invented, right? Yeah, that's I hadn't really been aware of it prior to this album. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I can assume, safely assume that she did. And here we are at the table, one of her favorite places to talk about a war brewing or mm-hmm. people not mm-hmm. saying what that's they're true. really feeling that's or thinking. True. She does love a good table scene. Yeah, she does. Do you think she could afford China? When she was in the Franklin studio apartment? I think she had a card table and two plates from Goodwill. I think she had Chinese food at the kit, at the coffee table in the living room. Sure, but on her Goodwill plates. Yeah. <laughs> Paper plates doesn't have a ring to it. No, it doesn't. Paper. So yeah, China decorates our table. Funny how the cracks don't seem to show. And it suddenly becomes a metaphor for their relationship, right? Yes. How wonderful, just with that turn of phrase, that they look beautiful, or maybe it looks beautiful from the outside, but the cracks don't seem to show. Yeah. There's a flaw here. There's a weakness that's not necessarily visible to other people. Yeah. And maybe even we're not acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. There are definitely cracks. Because it's capitalized. Cracks! Cracks! Just imagine Tori yelling all these words. Uh, the like cracks! If, she, if she was oh. in a chat room in I the know. 90s. Typing in all caps, people right. would be like, stop yelling at us. So I guess this goes back to keep up the appearance or we are keeping up the appearances or what do you think about that line? Pour the wine, dear. Yeah. Let's just sort of pretend that everything is the way it always was and let's be pleasant and talk about the trip we're going to take or right, something right. that sort of anchors our relationship in the future. Say we'll take a holiday. It's all talk because he says, or you say, we'll take a holiday, but we never follow through. We can never agree on where to go. And so it doesn't ever happen. Yeah. It's one of those things. Oh, we should take a trip. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, of course. Next weekend. Yeah. And then we just never go on the trip and we just grow further and further apart. That's really interesting. I like that. That it's all talk, that it's all just kind of keeping up the appearance. Sometimes I think you want me to touch you. And we go back to the chorus. What do you think? Anything's changed? I feel like it's she's still they're stuck still. Yeah. I don't think there's any resolution in this song. Agreed. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think about the yadai dai 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 dai's? <laughs> she loved the yadai dai dai's in this era. She couldn't get enough. They show up on pretty much every song. There's something different about these. <laughs> and then these. <laughs> <laughs> What's changed there? I just love that break though, that bridge. It's so striking. It's almost like a preview of Pretty Good Year, kind of out of left field. How so? The bridge in Pretty Good Year with the what's it going to take, where it kind of explodes mm. in what's otherwise, you know, kind of a straight ahead ballad. Oh, I what you're That's saying. like a similar yeah, moment like here. Yeah, like tonally. Yeah. Interesting. I've never linked the two at all. 
What do you think she's saying? If you had to put words to the die, 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 die. Here's a question. I guess we're going to skip ahead because I want to ask you something. So in Live in Montreux 1991, she does this bridge right here. Let's just play it now. original lyrics to this song or do you think that was an improv in the moment in Montreux and if they were original lyrics to the song do you think in the studio they were like nah maybe it doesn't quite fit and she just used the yai dai 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 dais as a placeholder and then they kept those that performance has always struck me as improvised okay. and it's just something that kind of came out in the moment but it does seem, you know, based on a real experience that in the middle of performing the song, whoever she associates it with, she was sort of taken back there and had that moment of authenticity. That's another like really naked moment, mm-hmm. not shrouded in any kind of metaphor mm-hmm. or veiled mm-hmm. <laughs> references at all. It's just like, oh, all right then. I agree with you. I, oh, absolutely. That it's a completely naked moment. If you think of that as a truly naked moment, we get very few of those like clear, crystal clear naked moments like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's definitely one of them. And certainly the earliest probably <laughs> being 91. But I, there's something about it that tells me that it was like an established bridge or that they were trying to work out that bridge. Or when she played it for him in 1990, like that was part of the bridge that was there. That's very possible. I would love to find that out at some point. Hear the demo? Yeah. Does she play for Ian Stanley or hear the demo? I wonder if we could contact the Library of Congress and get that demo. I don't know. Add it to the list of things we're going to ask Edison Amos for. Right. So after hearing that for the first time, the difference between these yai dai dai dais... And these yai dai dai dais... Always thought, is that what she's going through, but just not saying it? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. But either way, that's kind of like, you know, obviously an explosion of emotion where it's all been pent up Mm -hmm. and she's just got to let it out. She's got to say what she's got to say. And then it sort of reverts back to the sort of soothing. Which says a lot about you have these explosions in a relationship. And then even sometimes after these crazy explosions, the distance can feel better than these intense moments. Mm. Having that disconnect can actually be the better option eventually. Mm -hmm. Well, this is all seeming very unhealthy. Well, absolutely. But I mean, if the boy hits you, wouldn't you rather just have a distance between you that's Mm. not, that's complacent and not aggressive? If the boy hits you, wouldn't you rather just have something unspoken and confusion rather than a volatile interaction? Yeah. And sometimes depending on, you know, what someone's relationship dynamic is, you can have let's say a brawl maybe or a big fight and then somehow just go back to normal like Mm -hmm. it never happened Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what i feel like that musical moment sort of captures that yeah feeling definitely Definitely way off course if you ended up in Mexico on your way to New York from China. That's a really astute observation. I always took that as kind of like maybe he escaped in Mexico or wherever quote unquote Mexico is 
and she's expecting him to come back to her. Maybe you just got lost and you'll be back. But I really like China all the way to New York sets up the fact that if you're in Mexico, you are definitely off course mm-hmm. or ran from her or ran away or purposely left this route. Either way, it's not where you're supposed to be. This is another one of those lyrical moments that I could see really being grounded in reality that this person sort of ran off to Mexico at some point. I don't know why I picture whoever the song is about that it's kind of an artist or a musician who would disappear at certain points or like go off to Mexico to find himself Mm. and not call for a while. Yeah, I can see this being grounded in reality too. There's something really truthful about this or very out of left field in a way that it feels very personal. right next to someone that you can't communicate with they can't hear you you think that you're saying something that they are understanding yeah or you're hearing me but you're not acknowledging what i'm saying or sort of engaging right with me Mm -hmm. again he's just sort of looking off into the distance yeah maybe funny how the distance learns to grow getting worse or it's getting usual. I always take that as like, funny how the distance learns to grow. It's habitual. She chooses the word learns. If this happens one time and we don't talk about it, it just continues to happen. Yeah, and it's easy to stay in that place. Stay in an unfulfilling relationship or whatever it is where things aren't working. But if you don't sort of have the conversation or like force things to a conclusion, you can just sort of stay trapped in that place, I guess. And maybe the distance learns to grow and I sort of learn to grow with the distance too. Again, like I've just gotten used to this or like you said, it's habitual. I'm sort of learning how to exist in this space. I can feel distance And then we end with a repeat of, I can feel the distance, I can feel the distance, I can feel the distance getting close. Like you were saying, there's no resolve. It's just that repeating, I can feel the distance. And you can almost see it diminishing or the sun setting on their relationship or there's like a fade out almost. And maybe they never have the conversation. Maybe they just drift apart and suddenly they're not together anymore, but they haven't really ever acknowledged it. Which is kind of a slow breakdown. Mm-hmm. The song lives forever in that distance. Yeah. We're dropped into it and things are already not good. Yeah. I wish there was any moment of happiness in this song to illustrate the distance later, you know? <laughs> There's no, like, for us, we don't get a collective memory of when it used to be good. Ah, uh, Tori, she's done it again. <laughs> Should we listen to Yanta? Sure. So China, as it appears on Little Earthquakes, is 4 minutes and 58 seconds. But the video itself is like three minutes and 40 something seconds. And Yanta's cover is of the album track, obviously. So that's what we're going to be playing right here. So let's take a listen. I've never been to China, but I feel like I'm there. Ancient ritual. strikes me as a little unusual when the piano arrangement of a Tory song follows the vocal melody. Yeah, because it's so rare, right? Mm-hmm. Usually the vocal line is in some sort of counterplay with the piano melody. Breathe. 
think this is a just because it was written very early when she was still young and hadn't really had the life affirming realization that she should be composing these songs at the piano for herself not for a record label yeah probably and i have to imagine given that the era that this song was written in she was you know she was a different artist she was a different composer and she was making a concerted effort to write more commercial music i think so this is kind of more straightforward are really lovely and I think that whatever I mean it's evoking a very sad response definitely melancholy as so many of Tori's songs capture There was a little tricky moment there in timing, right? Did you hear it kind of slowed down a little bit? Mm. And I heard like, suddenly I heard all the people we've interviewed saying like, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> she's When she decides she's just gonna slow something down for a minute. that her recording process at this point was so organic that when she really would just play and there wasn't you know, a need to play to a click track or a metronome or anything, and they were still able to build the songs around her original performance. I guess there is, I mean, I guess that's the only moment of resolution in there is that things go back to normal. Like maybe you have an outburst, but things go back to normal with all this stuff in the air. The imagery from the video sticks with me too. During that sort of explosive moment, I see waves crashing and then the tide kind of goes back out Mm -hmm. and we're calm again.
This is probably as traditional as Tori gets, certainly at this point in her career, but it's still uniquely her. It's her version of straightforward love song, I guess. Yeah. It still takes unexpected turns that you wouldn't get from another artist. True. Oh, Yanta, you did it again. You can support Yanta by going to patreon.com slash Yanta, where I believe he's finished all the Tori Amos tracks, and God knows what's next. I think he's starting to do live versions, improv requests, get him to do whatever. Um, But do support him at patreon.com slash Yanta. You want to talk a little bit about the video? Yes, I do. We must. It's the second one we did in the UK. It's called China. We did it in North Cornwall. And Cindy Palmano directing again. Bloody cold. (laughs) Freezing. Oh, the guys were in um, (laughs) down jackets and they were standing there with umbrellas. It was pouring down rain and a lot of it. And they just looked and said, how do you do it? And I said, because I've been in the edit suite. When they go, where's that other reel? Then there's no other reel. Get it right that time. All right, trying to stay warm in this one. It is the second video from Little Earthquakes. Tori Amos and China. We'll be back. That was a clip from MTV Hour 1992. Tori introducing the video with John Norris. Remember John Norris? I sure do. What we're going to do is instead of listening to Tori's commentary, which you can find on the Fade to Red DVD if you've purchased it, which I'm sure you have. Instead of listening to that commentary, we're going to do our own commentary. How about that, David? I'm loving it. Roll it, Ollie. So the video was directed by Cindy Palmano, um, and she directed all the videos from this album, David, mm-hmm. as we know. We can't get her on our show to save our lives. We can't even get contact information. She's disappeared. Maybe she got lost in Mexico. Have you tried there? <laughs> or maybe she's tried to, like, just Tory fans get back. Probably. Um, so Tori's laying on rocks, and she's wearing a rock jumpsuit, which I love. I love this whole look, right? Mm-hmm. She's not- camouflaged. Yeah, it's like... It's not a rock jumpsuit, but it looks just like the rock. It wasn't a rock. It was a rock jumpsuit. <laughs> and here she is, like, she's snaking down the rocks with her blowout. She's got beautiful straight hair. You know, she's like, can we just get this in one take? Because, ow. Ow. I bet. I mean, ow. It's got to hurt. Right? She looks pained. Oh, hit the fan. So this video was filmed in Cornwall with like 15 or 20 minutes she says away from where she ended up living with mark and if you're watching the video alongside us you'll see that the guy building this wall of rocks kind of looks like mark from the white shot it does he pointed out that tori doesn't even help him build the wall like, could you stop singing for a second and help me she's like no i won't help you build a wall around you <laughs> That's why she's not doing it. Every time he turns around, she removes one of the rocks. Right. <laughs> why is this taking so long? This is a video that's very different than the other three videos for this album, right? The Silent of These Years Winter Crucify videos that kind of are complements of each other. This would be the standout video. Do you agree? I do. Um, you know, it kind of gets us away from all the white spaces, the empty spaces that are kind of trademarks of... It puts um, the visuals the for this era. She's on the loose. She's on the road. Yeah, but it's still consistent, right? It almost looks like it's from the silent era mm-hmm. because of however they shot it. The frame rate. It's yeah. like a little. Yeah. I agree with that. And that was, you know, she's got that rock piano, where and she's like sitting on a rock in the water. You could tell she's freezing, mm-hmm. right? And you, you think they built that piano? I think she says that. 
at a certain point and they just left it there and the sea took it. Wow. It never occurred to me until maybe a year ago when we were talking about it that that was not a real piano. <laughs> She's playing it like it is. Yeah, and I, I just assumed there were keys. We know how cold she was from the end credits of the Little Earthquakes video, right? Yeah. Where there's outtakes and then yeah. she adds text over it with kind of funny commentary. Yeah. I love that. I do too. That's a really great moment. She's like, I'll get this in one take. God damn it, I'm freezing. She's getting snaky. She is Just getting snaky. She's on the loose. What does this mean? It's a metaphor of some kind, right? She's... She's invading his wall. She's trying to get... I don't know. And it's been described as like a teacup skirt, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's an inverted Mm -hmm. teacup. Yeah. Like she's... Angela Lansbury, doesn't she play the teacup? Or she plays the wardrobe? Mrs. Potts. Yeah. (laughs) Mrs. Potts. Uh (laughs) Directed by Cindy Palmano. What a beautiful video. Where would you rank this on your Little Earthquakes videos? Um, I quite like this one. I would say it's my favorite. Me too. I might say that. I would put this like probably tied with Crucify personally. Oh. Although Silent All These Years was the video that got me to be a Tory fan, but Crucify. There's something about Crucify. The twin waitresses, her getting ready in that like little space. Mm-hmm. I love moments like that. It's bathtub. just so weird. Yeah, the bathtub, everything about it. So here's what Tori had to say about the video. So... I was trying to find a way to get this little thing transported because I knew that the ocean was going to take her when her tides were coming in. But I stayed and watched till every last rock of the stone piano was pulled back to sea. And When I said goodbye, I didn't realize that I was really saying I'll see you soon. You want to read a little bit from Tori's stories? This was a little book where she wrote stories about the videos Mm -hmm. that came with... What did it come with? I thought you could get it when she put out the VHS collection. The VHS video, that's what it was. Right? Yeah. So Cindy called me up and said, I know what he's building you. And I said, Sin, who's building me what? Your lover in the video, she said. As I remember, we started to dive into the idea that creative couples make things that can rip each other and their images of themselves separate and together, separate and together, which make them separate together. Build walls separately, build walls together. Egos are delicate things, unfortunately. Walls are not misperceptions running fast. So fast it helps set the stones in place. China was shot in North Cornwall, strangely enough, where we recorded Choir Girl five and a half years later. As in Spark, you are seeing real water in winter's glory in England. My love in the video built me two things which the sea took with her. An honest-to-God rock piano and an upside-down china teacup in the form of a skirt. Interesting. He's not building a wall around himself. He's building her things. He built her that rock piano. He Mm. built her the teacup skirt. What do you think? They build each other things to tear each other down? Is that what Cindy's saying? Kind of, yeah. And again, maybe this was sort of informing what I said earlier about imagining that this person was another musician or an artist of some kind. I feel like that's sort of embodied here. I mean, it could even be, I don't know, are there threads of Eric in this song too? 
because they had that kind of creative collaboration. Mm -hmm. I see that. If he's building her something with rocks and it's by the seashore, how easily that can just be swept away. Mm. Like we had talked about the rock piano kind of just being swept by the sea. So it's like you're building something that is so fragile and so delicate that you kind of constantly have to be building it or nurturing it or rebuilding it. So true. You have to nurture and maintain a relationship. Disagree. You set it in place day one and that's what it is. I love this video. Why do you think she has straight hair in this video? You think because it's a ballad, like, let's get serious now. I think it's as simple as that. Maybe. And it's, I mean, the whole video is kind of sophisticated. Yeah, it is elegant. As is the song. Mm -hmm. So I think her whole look here is, you know, kind of meticulously crafted. Yeah. And I love that jumpsuit. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Um, This is from Really Deep Thoughts fanzine, issue four, fall 1993, from an interview with Cindy Palmano. You've mentioned that you've worked very closely with Tori. In China, the stone piano, where did that idea originate? Were there ideas that were specifically Tories or yours? I don't like dividing things into whose they were. David, she's British. I don't like dividing, <laughs> no. David, she's Cockney. Oh, I don't like dividing things into whose they were and where they came from. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of unnecessary. When ideas are sparked between two people, then it's very hard to say. When one person is generating an idea, it might be because the other person is enabling them to generate it or to spark it. It's not as simple as who thought of what. The stone piano came as a result of the record company insisting that they must have a piano in the video. So we stuck one in there. That's great. That's really interesting. That's a creative solution. And why would the, first of all, why would the record company insist that there must be a piano in the video? I don't know. Again, they were just trying to craft and brand her image, maybe. As a piano player, yeah. probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that then. It's like she has to be playing the piano and Otherwise, video. people might not realize she's making this music. Mm. Although she doesn't play in silent. No, she does. She's sitting at the upright, kind of, right? And that's, and then that. It's really interesting if you go back to the Crucify video, which came after this, that they took it away from Cindy and they added in those parts where she's playing the piano. Mm -hmm. That could answer a question that we talked about on the Crucify episode, which is like, why would she be so resistant to putting in a piano that was very similar to what it looked like in Silent All These Years in Winter anyway, right? Yeah. Maybe because she was just sick of it. Like, okay, we're trying something else here. We gave you what you needed in China. Now everybody knows who she is. Let's try something else. And this is like another example of, I could see the label giving Tori whiplash. <laughs> they go from the girl on the piano thing's never going to work to we want you playing the piano in every shot. All the time. <laughs> Build it out of rocks then. <laughs> yeah, I love their solution to it. Well, this is from Woman's Journal, November 2001. And Tori says, I'm obsessed with the sea. For me, writing music is like jumping off a cliff and then deep sea diving among new coral reefs. I think women are like water, while men are much more like clay, like earth. Our house is surrounded by farmland, but when you walk out of the front door, you can glimpse the sea at nearby Widemouth Bay. I have to know the sea is there. I filmed a video for my single, China, around the cove. I had a piano built out of rocks, and I just slipped in the sea as the tide came in. It's wild that she ends up living in Cornwall just like six years later. It's to be. Absolutely wild. (laughs) Of all the places in the world that Cindy would choose that location to shoot the video, she had this experience there. And then out of all the sound designers or all the front of house guys that were probably recommended or could have been recommended at these two guys, it's a fairy tale, David. Sort of. Why don't you read this quote from Under the Radar from June 18th, 2017. And this is recent. This is a recent quote that she's still talking about China. Can't get enough China. God, we've heard it. The video where China was made in 1992 was a place called Meluk, not far from Bude, North Cornwall in England. Little did I know that I would marry someone who would go to Bude on holiday as a young lad for many years. We did not meet until a couple years after the video was made. 
Many years later, when he showed me the place where he wanted the recording studio to be, we took a drive and ended up at this little beach. Deja Vu grabbed me by the hand as I realized I had been here several years before making China. And he explained to me he would walk on this very beach as a young boy on holiday. That's just wild. What a coincidence. What do you think about that? I feel like sometimes the universe reveals its grand design or symmetry. Mm-hmm. There is something sort of orchestrated mm-hmm. here. And that, I don't know, do you feel drawn to certain places or return to certain places yeah. that you don't necessarily have a connection to that you can articulate? Um, I feel very drawn to Dublin. I don't know why. But there's a lot of similarity in the Irish culture and the Mexican cultures. Maybe that feels like home in a way. I don't know why. But I am drawn to Dublin. What about you? You're probably going to marry a dude from Dublin. Oh, God, I wish. I've been trying to marry Dominic from The Real World Season 2 forever. Oh, man. Do you know where he is? Is he there? Or in L.A.? Are you drawn to any place in particular? Yeah, I mean, of course, I always am drawn to the East Coast. And I have no ties there. I have no family there. I did not travel there as a kid, but I just love the weather and everything about it. When I'm there, like, oh, right, this is the way like it's supposed to be. And it feels oddly like home to me, even though, again, I'm from Southern Mm -hmm. California. Mm -hmm. So it's foreign, but at the same time, very familiar. I guess that feeling comes to me when I'm in middle America. And I'll be, I lived for a summer in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, and spent a lot of time in Wyoming and felt very at home there. I don't feel at home in Dublin. I'm drawn to it. But I guess that the feeling is at home. Mm-hmm. I feel very at home when I'm in a very small farm town, even though it really scares me, like my lifestyle. I'm afraid like I'm going to get beaten up or, you know, I'm because just too, your homosexuality? Well, I'm too brown or I'm too gay for middle America. I don't know, whatever. Or I'm too outspoken or they're going to find out I like Tori Amos something. <laughs> but I still am very drawn to it. It feels very much like home. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to say about China before we chat with Dorothy Dotson and Matthew Seligman? She's going to school us. She will school us. She's going to be like, why did you guys take an hour and a half to get to me? She's been on the line. She's been on hold this whole time. (laughs) All right, let's take a little break and listen to this cover of China by the pains of being pure at heart. I hear this cover of China in something like Fleabag, right at the end of an episode where she's trying to hold back tears and the hot guy's walking away and she's just trying to figure out what the fuck am I doing with my life? Watch Fleabag. China, all the way to New York. I can feel the distance getting close. You're right next to me, but I need an airplane. I can feel the distance.
Ladies and gentlemen, guess who we have on the line? The girl who likes China, Miss Dorothy Dotson's on the line. Hi, Dor. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Is it Dor or is it Anne? <laughs> <laughs> we may never know for sure. Let's just stick with girl who likes China. How are you, Dor? So <laughs> tell us how you discovered Tori Amos. You are a China super fan, right? Let's get that out in the open. I am. I'm coming out so the world can hear me. I, I love it. I don't care what anybody says. Tell us how you discovered Tori and her music. I discovered Tori because the cool kids in my choir in high school loved Tori, and we would carpool to the choir together. And right around that same time, a girl that I was trying to get a crush on also liked her. So I went ahead and taped the CD that a family that I was babysitting for had and listened to the tape, you know, on repeat as, as you would. It was a little earthquakes. Um, it was great. It was changed my life. Don't you love how being the cool kids is always just out of our grasp? Back then, they listened to Tori and we didn't. Now we do and they don't. Yeah. Always a step behind. Right. I kind of want to go back to like the girl in my choir who got me into Tori and be like, you created a monster. <laughs> I think we all have one of those. So Dorothy Dotson, so let's get into your love for Tori and Little Earthquakes. How does that translate into a love for China? Well, it's, I mean, it was the first song that... um that I really, really loved off of that album. Um, so I guess it was the first song of Tori's that I really loved. I just thought it was so beautiful, so instantly relatable and simple and sweet and sort of a sad love song. Um, and I, you know, I forget, what was I? I guess I was 15 and uh, I don't know. I just really instantly connected to it. And What did you connect to about it? Did you relate it to somebody or you related it to the girl? Yeah, well, there was a girl, there definitely was a girl um, that I was really close to, and we were very good buddies, and I definitely now, can, you know, with, with the hindsight that adulthood brings, can, you know, could say, oh, I think on my end, there was a lot to, a lot more than wanting to be buddies, but you know, we were really close, and then, you know, you snap your fingers, and, and she started just, like, not being the friend that she was at all, and it seemed to me at the time, like, it was, there was no reason for it, like, and I still, I still couldn't tell you what the the reason was, but you know, we went from being like sick as thieves to I don't want to say no contact at all, but like just you know, night and day difference. Like, did I imagine this? What the heck? And um, what was so sort of ridiculous at the time was that like it actually did coincide. Like our sort of like friend breakup sort of coincided with an actual family vacation she took to Mexico. <laughs> um, I know, I know. And she got lost in Mexico. Oh my God, this song is for me. <laughs> Dor, do you think in any way she sensed that you might have feelings for her? Because I've heard that sometimes that can derail friendships when one person has feelings and the other person doesn't reciprocate. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that was part of it. I have been told that I'm not the most... Subtle? I don't have a, like a, a lot of game. I don't have a lot of like, I don't, I don't have a poker face. Mm. per se. I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. That's a good quality to have. Even now. So I'm sure all that many years ago, that was even truer. How do you go from Dor listening to China in her room? How do you go from that to Girl Who Likes China? Oh, well, when I first... <laughs> how did you get out of your room? <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first saw Tori on tour, I uh, was in my hometown of Minneapolis. So the, you know, when I had heard that she did meet and greets, I was like, nah, that's too good to be true. So I found what hotel she was staying at. <laughs> and I, uh, and definitely she was, you know, there and came out and met fans in the 
three of us. And I asked her to play China, which, you know, wasn't that crazy of a request in 1996. I now know, I now know, but she, uh, she did not play China at that show, which was a great show, even though she did not play China. She definitely did play Purple Rain for another guy that was there with us, which was super rare. <laughs> Still super rare, but I was like, okay, cool. And um, like I went on to request it at the rest of my, the next several shows that I went to, my second, third, and fourth show, I requested it. And she, I don't really remember what, what she would have said about it. I think probably just some generic, like, yeah, sure, maybe at some point. Um, and um, then she did play it. She finally played it at my fifth show at the Greek Theater in 1996, the third show. Wait a second. I was there the first time you heard it live. I don't think I knew that. Yes, of course. Do you remember how beautiful it was? Do you remember? Yes, yes, I do. Corey's really seemed very fixated on some random girl on the third row of the pit. Like she's looking right at her. No, because I was looking straight at her too. (laughs) Oh. So what did she say to you? Did she did she ever say like I finally played it? So stop it. I, so stop you know, asking. She, the next time I saw her was on the second leg of the tour, you know, thousands of miles away in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and she remembered my face. She didn't remember my name, but she said, "Hi, girl who loves China." Oh, it was loves was China. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's me. That's right. And I was just very, I mean, very excited that she had recognized me at all. All those months later. Which like months when you're 15 is like years, you know what I mean? So it just yeah. it felt like it had been forever. Um, so I couldn't believe that she did remember me. And then at a subsequent meet and greet, maybe the next day, she called me Anne. <laughs> and then she did it again. The next one, she said, "You must have been Anne in a former life." <laughs> she is so good at the spin. Sure. She <laughs> She's like, oh, she, isn't she? I mean, oh my how God. many times have we seen her like? find something for someone she knows she's met before and she'll be like now how do you spell that again yeah <laughs> yes uh-huh and they're D-A-V-I-D. like d-a-v-i-d <laughs> or once in a while she'll sign the wrong name completely and then realize what she's doing and have to work it into like your name's not paul oh something something apostle paul yeah. Bob Tory. <laughs> like peter paul john and ringo uh-huh. <laughs> Bless her. I once saw her give someone just like the biggest like hug and oh my god, I'm so excited to see you. And he's like, oh yeah, this is so great. And then she goes, now tell me, how is the court case? And he's like, I don't. There's no court. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was very embarrassed for that. Uh, <laughs> how is the court case going? Who <laughs> can blame her? I'm from the theater. I would have done some improv. It's going great. Sentencing's on Wednesday. <laughs> Okay, so you're now Girl Who Loves China, Anne, and the Girl Who Loves China. <laughs> Has she ever played it for you since then? Have you ever, did you continue to request it after you got it? Or You know, I have requested it. Don't tell, don't tell me and my other tour buddies because I'd be chastised for it. Nobody seems to want to hear China at a show. But I requested it, I requested it again in 1990. No, no, actually I requested it at the Boulder show, didn't I? Of course I did. I requested it in Boulder. Why? Why? I don't know. Well, she played I guess it. Probably because by then, by then, she like, that was who she knew me as. And um, yeah, so at Drop in Boulder, she requested China and she played it. And I was 
I now know, sitting literally right next to the taper of Dewdrop in Boulder, which is why you can hear my voice on that. The taper put their ticket stub in the liner notes, you know. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was literally the scene next to me. And then I requested again in 1998. This is a pretty softball request. Like, I've been requesting Bachelorette all tour before then. So it's probably like, all right, I give up. Um, which she did not play, yeah. by the way. Did not yeah. play. And she did play China in Norfolk uh, for me. And uh, it was particularly meaningful because it was the first time that she sang my name from the stage. Mm. I have to imagine your relationship with the song, even at that point, had sort of changed since you initially related it to a specific person. Totally. How has totally. that continued to evolve over the years? Um, over the years, I would say that I have continue to have like you know soft spot in my heart for the song i would you know i would say like it still means something to me in as much as it meant something to me you know it means something to me because it means something to me um so like a nostalgic more nostalgia for it now yeah yeah totally um i used to say hearing it live makes it makes a good show better and a bad show worse uh, if there could be such a thing as as that um because you know for a long time she wouldn't really change it that much right live it was kind of what it was and when it was one of only two solo songs that we would sometimes get in this in a show you'd be like oh no we all we always want something new and fresh and wild yeah it's true but i i would say that when I talk to people about it, you know, and when I, when I think about the song and her catalog, I think of it as something that's very um, simple and beautiful and has, is very different from a lot of the rest of her music in that, like you, you know, there's not a lot of like, I don't want to say there's not a lot of depth to it, but like, there's not a lot of like misinterpreting it. You know, there's not a lot of like, Oh, these lyrics could be, could be interpreted in three or four different ways. You know, it's like, it's pretty clear what she meant by all of it. And it's, and that's fine. It's okay to have songs like that. Um, uh, the last time I saw her at the end of the last tour, not the end to end, but like a few shows before the end of the last tour, I I knew that I was on the um, on the brink of starting my family, which I did do, um, and I knew that it was a bit of an end of an era for me. So it was sort of my my go to was like, oh man, I'm I'm going to be stepping away from tour for reasons, and I should go out with like a really great request like I should really think of like something that I'd love to hear that I've never heard that she, cause she's never played Dortura. Like that's a load of bullshit <laughs> yeah I thought better of it and I said you know actually I would love to hear the first song I would love to request the first song I ever requested um, and she did play that for me and it was really really beautiful and it meant a lot that's a beautiful sort of cyclical thing to to go out the way you came in. We should yeah. all be so lucky. When I moved in the I've enclosed in it two pictures. The first one we ever took and one from like a few weeks earlier, the last one that we had taken, the most recent one we had taken, um, just also from like a full circle. Full circle. Perspective. Dorothy Dotson, that's beautiful. And I'm so glad to have you on our episode. Can you tell us what is your favorite lyrical moment in China? You know, the, maybe the section about China and the cracks don't seem to show. Like, that's kind of takes it sort of to the next level. It's like a nice a nice metaphor. Metaphor, for like, yeah. You know, a 15-year-old who was, like, studying metaphor stuff, you know. <laughs> like, oh, that's what that is. Dor, you're lovely to do this with us for our show. You will always be to us the girl who loves China. I love talking about China. 
It is my pleasure to be known as that. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the girl who loves China. You can find her online at Dor Dotson on Instagram and Twitter. She is a crowdfunding and social media consultant for filmmakers, and her company is Genuine Article. So follow Dor Dotson, follow Genuine Article. She's also my life coach of over 23 years. I'll talk to you <laughs> off air in 10 minutes, Dor. <laughs> Love you guys. Dor, thanks so much. And here's Tori Amos performing China in Norfolk for Dorothy. On the line, we have legendary bass player Matthew Seligman. Besides being with the Soft Boys and being a major influencer in the new wave scene, he's worked with David Bowie, Sinead O'Connor, Thomas Dolby, to name a few. And also, of course, Tori Amos. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Efrain. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. We are so thrilled to have you. Anytime we can get a transmission from the 90s, <laughs> especially as it regards Little Earthquakes, we'll happily snatch it up. So let's start. Let's talk a little bit about you, Matthew. Please tell everybody, please tell our listeners how you chose the bass, how you discovered you had this talent, how you chose music. Oh, okay. Um, well, that was all an accident. None of it was planned. I, I went to one of these uh, what we call posh schools, um, public schools in England, probably called private schools everywhere else. My grandfather was a, a factory owner down in Crawley, where actually the cure lived. And um, he had a big factory. Then my dad was, was a kind of, he was his eldest son, but he was a kind of a runaway. And he went off to sea and um, had nothing to do with the kind of family stuff. By the time it sort of caught up with me, all that was left of my grandfather's estate was this kind of trust fund, which sent us off all to these expensive schools. But it was a kind of slightly isolating experience because I didn't really have the same background that the other kids whose families really were rich came from. But it did get me through this school called Harrow and to Cambridge University. And I was kind of headed for the sort of business end of things. And I ended up in Teach Yourself 
books, which was this, this kind of book that uh, you could learn to do things like groom dogs. And so I was editing, I remember editing Teach Yourself Music. Um, <laughs> and a sort of transition occurred. And I went and told my boss I was, I was leaving to go and join a band. And I'd always played bass since the age of about 15, starting quite late as a kind of hobby. You know, I never, ever thought it would be a job, but I did. I went off and toured with a, a little band with a Glaswegian called Bobby Henry opening for the police on their Roxanne tour. And um, we went all around the country with the police and the cramps. Wow. Um, and that was, a, that was a very kind of new AV experience. And that's how it all started. And it was very lucky, sort of, it was an amazing time. New Wave had just broken down the castle walls and you could really do a lot. It was a very open business. They'd swept away the old regime. It was kind of like a revolutionary time. And uh, a lot of people could do things that they never, ever dreamed of doing. And I was one of them. And so probably was Tori. Tori was one of these sort of child geniuses. Was I remember talking with her and she was saying she'd played the piano since she was very young and... She, she was different. She was always going to be a musician, wasn't she? She started playing when she was two and a half, so super, super young. Yeah. Take us through 1991. What's going on in your world uh, going into and leading up to Little Earthquakes? I'd forgotten when it was. A long time okay, ago, um, almost 29 years ago. Right, okay. So that was after the 80s, which was really my decade. And um, I think I just got a call. Um, I think I'd been playing with Sinead and Sinead's husband at the time, not long before that, I think he was now just her producer, was John Reynolds. I think he knew Ian Stanley and um, maybe he passed on my name. And I got a call from Ian Stanley, who had been in Tears for Fears and was now producing Tori. And um, I didn't actually meet him at the time. He just gave me Tori's address and a little flat she had somewhere in, I think, around, I don't know if it was Bayswater or somewhere around there, Kensington, West London. And I just went round there and met Tori, um, and she played me these songs. She was lovely. She, she was so friendly and um, lovely person, very warm, smiley. And I just rang the bell and went in and I'd taken my bass, and we sat down and started working out this song, China, in, in her living room. Wow. And... Um, that was lovely. She was a lovely person. I really liked Tori. A lot of soul and, and a lot of stories and things. Very open person. If you can go a little further into what collaborating was like with Tori on that song, did she um, play you the song first and then you just kind of come, came up with ideas to... Yeah. She wasn't too sort of... Uh, she didn't give you too many directions, which I, th I actually think a lot of the best people do that. They, they don't sort of over micromanage you, you know. They let you do whatever comes to mind. Um, and I don't think I really worked for it on that occasion. She just kind of showed me the chords. And um, that was that for then. It was going to be a two-appointment thing. And the next sort of chapter was I, I went down to the studio where Ian Stanley was. So I never met either of them together. <laughs> but um, now I was kind of passed on to the next phase, which is Ian. Uh, they'd already recorded Tori's piano and vocals, and there was, uh, I remember walking in, um, since it was the first time I'd met Ian, he wanted to be impressed, so I remember he, I sat down and plugged it, and he said, right, play something good. 
<laughs> and I know, I go, what do you do? Anyway, I didn't have a clue what to do. <laughs> Maybe that kind of stifled me slightly. I'm, I'm not kind of one of the most confident guys that strides into the room, you know. Yeah. I'm just a, a gentle little creative. Mm. And um, uh, But anyway, we, we were working on the middle eight mainly for China, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I played on the whole song or just played in the middle eight. Um, that was it. And I met Tori again a couple of years later. We did. She had to do a charity version of "Ring My Bell." Right. And that was um, that was fun. And and I remember Jeremy Stacy was drumming then. He now lives out in L.A. And I think he he played with King Crimson the other day. And I think he's played a bit with Tal Wickenfeld. And I think he lives out there. I don't know. He, he's lovely. I love Jeremy. Uh, and so he played you played bass on that "Ring My Bell" as well? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That's amazing. I mean, I haven't heard it since. You know, I must go and track it down. But well, obviously, great... we can send it to you. Don't you worry. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. It was great. Harry did great covers. I mean, I remember she covered that Nirvana song, too, which I thought was very... Am I right about that? Yeah. I mean, you it smells guys... like Teen Spirit. I don't sure. want to... You're all the experts, aren't you? So... Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I remember noticing that she'd done Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I thought, oh, she's very brave. You know, it's a good cover to pick. But Ring My Bell was another one that I thought was a nice choice. Actually, on our Ring My Bell episode, which we've already done, we spoke with Anita Ward, who... Oh, really? Oh, great. Did she like it? What did she think? loved it. Yeah, she loved the song. She loved it. I think we did it... Did we do it a bit just sort of straight rock or something? Yeah, it was totally rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. Was that your preferred style, rock and roll? Yeah, I was just always into guitar bands and, and sort of indie rock. You know, the soft boys really defined what I liked best. So uh, I'm sure that would have been just the way... um, Sorry, I'm stuttering and going, um, I'll I'll stop speaking. No, we'll get it, don't worry. (laughs) I mean, the trouble is, the reason I'm stuttering is I'm struggling to remember, really. They're just postcards, you know, in your mind. But they're happy postcards. As a bass player, the way that you recorded China with Tori, is that typical for you, that you just go in after someone's done recording, like, the main part and the vocal, and then you lay it down? Um, Yeah, I think it was, maybe it was quite an 80s thing, but they just got into that kind of production mode. You know, drum machines had started and production had started, and it wasn't like the 60s where bands just recorded everything all at once. And so the thing was, the drum kit takes the longest. It can take a day to set up a drum kit and then set up the mics around it and get it all sounding good. It's a bit artificial to imagine with all that setup that you can actually record as a band in a room because you're all plugged into your your headphones and stuff. And it's all a bit isolating the way that it's made so that it would be a bit artificial to think you could record as a band. And particularly with people like Tori, who she didn't at that time have a functioning band. We were all session musicians. I don't know, uh, maybe 50-50. There were people like the Soft Boys. When, when you rehearse, if you rehearse a lot, you can go into a studio and record as a band. But as a substitute for rehearsing a lot, you will tend to lay stuff down player by player. You can do one or the other, but you can't go in and record as a band without rehearsing for three weeks. That's the, that's the big difference, really, for six months. Matthew, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your reflections. Do you have any more thoughts from the time or maybe from noodling around <laughs> oh, with Tori in the living room? Just what a wonderful person Tori was and someone who you'd always be happy for her success as you watch her flying high. You know, happy memories. Yeah. Thanks, Tori. 
Ladies and gentlemen, he's a gentle creative, and we're lucky to get a peek into the new wave scene with him. He's Matthew Seligman, bass player. You can follow him online on Twitter at Seligman Bass. And of course, head over to our Patreon to get that interview in full. There's much more that we talk about. Very fascinating stuff. And we are going to right now listen to Ring My Bell. That's really kind of you. Lovely to speak to you. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this and taking the time. Cheers. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Guess where we've landed, David? New York. The live sex show. We took a plane from quotes all the way to live performances. We are here, we are queer, and we are live, David. We are live to tape. I feel live. So we already played the very first time that we have on record of Tori playing China. It wasn't necessarily a promo performance, but it was at the Montreux Jazz Festival in 1991. And that's where we, we played that during the line by line where she screams, Oh, you love to hit me, boy. So now we're going to play the very first time that we have on record of her doing the song on TV. Okay. Right? This is from Wogan on January 29th, 1992. And I want you all to stick a pin in this and we'll, we'll talk about this later. In the So that was a little bit from Wogan. Now on this performance, just like in the video, she cuts the second verse and sort of plays the edited version, right? Mm -hmm. She's wearing this like interesting rope necklace that's kind of is like pearls or it kind of looked like a rope necklace designed to look like a pearl necklace, right? Obviously. And I want to skip ahead to this little quote. You want to read this quote from Ian Thorpe? Ian Thorpe is Tori's sound engineer for the Little Earthquakes tour. Um, And he refers to this show, uh, or the show that happened on this night. So this took place on January 29th, 1992, this recording at the Wogan. Ian Thorpe did an interview with Really Deep Thoughts in summer of 1993 and talked about the show that happened the same night as the Wogan taping. So let's have David read that. We had a heckler at the first London show. Tori did a TV show on the evening of the first gig. It was a national TV show where she was dressed in old Victorian style and had a bit of a movie star look. She did China. 
The next day, well, she always wears her jeans and her normal swimsuit top. And then she came out and this guy yelled out, oh, you didn't get dressed up for us like you did on the TV show. And Tori goes, I've been playing bars for 12 years. I know you. And this is like, she had an answer. And another guy shouted out, shut up, man. And then she goes, now hang on, you two guys. Look, we can sort it out later. We'll order a pizza in and we'll have a little chat. But can I get on with my show? Which is how she's always been. She's very good at settling things then and there. She does. Even from the beginning. That's as early as January 20th, 1992, or the next night, January 30th, 1992. She was already dealing with hecklers. She was already dealing with hecklers in 91, right? I prefer when Tori would try to, you know, de-escalate a situation with offering pizza. Yeah. As opposed to, get out of my fucking show. I prefer get out of my fucking show. <laughs> like, at this point, I'm not going to, what am I going to do? Have a pizza delivered to the front row while you're taking pictures? You want to take pictures with the pizza and me? Get out of my fucking show. I give these tickets to people who like music. Music. So, that's just something interesting. So, that was the earliest performance we have of China. And what do you think of the performance? She was quaffed and styled. Quaffed for and sure. styled. A rare instance where she's playing to tape. Yeah, she's got all of the sounds and the little <laughs> bass. And the... But she's definitely singing. Mm-hmm. This is from Two Meter Sessies, 14th of March, 1992. This is the next promo performance that we have. This is a performance from HFS Cafe on WHFS in Annapolis, Maryland on November 11th, 1992. And this concludes our 1992 Chinas. You're welcome. As far as the tour goes, the Earthquakes tour, there's no way of knowing how many times she played China. <laughs> Set lists are incomplete. I'm not even going to speculate, and I'm, it's just going to piss me off. It's just going to get me upset, David. If there's one thing that gets you upset, it's not knowing how many times Tori played China in 1992. I, it is. As a historian and an archivist, I'm yes. willing to say she played it at like 95% of the shows. 97. Okay. I'm willing to say 97%. <laughs> We're here in 1994, and I want to play this really interesting French television performance. Why is it so interesting, David? Tell the people why it's so interesting. Well, Tori does it as a, I don't think duet is the right word, but she does it with a small choir of female vocalists backing yeah, her. Which is rare right? for Tori, yeah, right? to share the stage. To share the stage with anybody, much less other women, and I think that because her band was men, 
she's more comfortable sharing the stage with, or we're used to seeing her share the stage with men. But this was the first time that I recall her sharing the stage with another woman. So this is a duet from on French TV with a group called Native. They're, that's, the I think, the name of the group. And Steve Savignac wrote us to tell us they had one or two hits at the time. The TV show was all about artists meeting other artists and doing duets together. So it was not surprising in that way. Native didn't survive long as a band, but I think one of the girls has a solo career. Hmm. So... Let's listen to that duet with Native. I seem to remember one of the vocalists starts a smidge too early. So we get China. Oh my God. You uncovered something. Traced the origin. Oh, you know you like DNA to find the DNA of songs mm-hmm. and other songs. Yeah, I think you did. I think you found it. In 1994, we have 28 times on record that she did China, but I'm sure it's more, right? Has to be. Let's play Los Angeles, California, March 22nd. You know what that sound means, David? Yes. We're in 1996. Tori has performed China at least 38 times on the Do Drop In tour. Did you see it on Do Drop In? No, I did not see it as far as I recall. It took oh. me years to get China. I didn't get China for, until 2001, I believe. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. This is from Miami, Florida on October 23rd, 1996. You all know what happened that day. She left the stage. Oh, yeah. This leads me to believe that this is a comfort song for Tori. Yeah. We've talked about a few that she sort of goes to for that. So given the circumstances of that show, I have to imagine that that's why she played this. Ow! 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 
Oh. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. I just want to touch it. In 1998, Tori Amos performed China 15 times. More or less than you thought it would be? About what I would expect. I would have expected less, honestly. I think she played it a lot during the sneak preview shows, too. Mm-hmm. When she did, you know, two yeah. solo songs. I think that was one of her standard Go-tos. choices. Yeah. Speaking of the club tour, this is Seattle, Washington on May 3rd, 1998. <laughs> Five and a half weeks towards 1999, she performs it four times. Four times. Four times. She performed it in Camden, Buffalo, Toronto, and Phoenix. Strange. So strange. In 2001, Tori was on the Strange Little Tour. She performed this song 17 times. I saw it for the first time in Austin that year. What about you? I saw it at the second LA show. Woo! Here's Austin. Scarlet's Walk 2002-2003, she did it 13 times. If you count the four times she did it on that next tour, a lot of pianos, it was a total of 17 times in 2002-2003. I won't count it. Luckily, I will. In 2005, on the Summer of Sin, China had a very strong sister song connection with Goodbye Pisces this tour. Of the 19 times that Tori Amos played China, 13 of those were played side by side with Goodbye Pisces. China was only played one time without Goodbye Pisces in the same show mm-hmm. that tour. That's incredible. She was more about pairings on that tour. Yeah. Than any Sister other. songs. Sister yeah. songs. T Pook was usually there with damage mm-hmm. they usually got played together and yes of course here in this case goodbye pisces in china why ever would she put those two songs together bull in a china shop that's true breaking porcelain so let's play one from that tour shall we roll it this is from san diego september 14th 2005 a show we were both at yeah We're in 2007, David, and she performed China eight times on that tour. Two of them were recorded for the legs and the boots. Which do you want to hear, Boston or Chicago? Chicago, home of Oprah's. China. 
even gonna ask me what doll she performed it as i didn't think i had to you and i can just exchange a knowing glance santa and we know no can you imagine tori singing or sorry santa singing china while pouring margaritas down her cleave <laughs> china i can feel the distance all yeah. the way to new york you know it's a good thing she didn't do it with a band that tour because that could have very well happened i wish she really got into acting and that the doll spoke <laughs> in between songs the way tori herself does when she introduces the band or whatever santa would be like oh my heavens what's up <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I mean, she's like a little more coy. No. You should be like, I happen to have spilled no. a julep <laughs> down my front of my chest. I'm sorry. She's not Savannah. It's Santa. Give me a reason to say honeysuckle. <laughs> <laughs> no, she would have come out. She's the party girl, remember? She would have come out like, what's up, bitches? Oh, my God. She Please keep like, going. done some Molly right before stage. Talked about how much Molly. She did MDMA, MDTA. Oh, my God. She would have done some oh. MDTA. And Clyde would just be like, don't look at me. <laughs> don't you fucking look at me. That probably would have been that way, yes. Hiding behind her scarf. Well, it's a good thing she did do it with the band. So here we are in 2009, the Sinful Attraction Tour. And you know what, David? It was sinful and attractive. And she did it with the band. What? Who would do China with a band? Tori Amos would. The first time she ever performed it with the band was in Seattle, Washington on July 10th, and we're going to play it right now. Let's talk about that, David. Yeah, I remember she was sort of proud. I think before the tour even started, she was like, you guys were arranging Icicle in China with the band. To the stunned silence of the entire meet and greet. Yes. <laughs> um, here's the thing. In the Tory world, this is a controversial thing. The fact that does China, not to mention Icicle, do they need the band? No. Clearly not, because they've been songs for 20 years at that point without the band. So do they need the band? No. Do they breathe different life into the song? Yes. Yeah, I think she was just trying to keep it fresh. Do, yeah, exactly. Like, does she need new life to be in that song after 20 years of playing it? I Maybe. Think so, yeah. Is the song finally ready to dip its toe into the band? Maybe. She's got some synth on there, too. Yeah. She's mixing it up. But I understand the other side, which is like, this is a beautiful ballad. Why are you trying to change what it is, the mm-hmm. DNA of what it is, or like the, the structure? It's interesting. I'm not sure I consider it entirely successful. The bridge on the album kind of explodes, and it's like you've got the band. Let's create that moment. But it's yeah. kind of... They're, they're really just following her. Yeah. 
And I appreciate on band tours when the solo songs are, you know, we only get a couple. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That China was kind of taken out of the running right. for a coveted solo slot because yeah. it got a band arrangement. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we can still hear China. We can have her China and eat it too. Yeah. Gonna get another <laughs> exactly. song. Exactly. In 2009, she also performed this song on Live at the Artist's Den. And oh. I love this performance. So I do want to play it. In 2010 Midwinter and Summer Tour, she performed the song four times. Would you consider China a winter song? No, not really. I wouldn't either, but I wouldn't consider it a summer song. There's a warmth about it. Cozy. So I'll go with Autumn. Autumn. In 2011, Torium has performed China on the Night of Hunters Tour six times. You want to take a guess if it was solo or with the quartet? I seem to remember it being solo. It was with the quartet. It was? Just kidding. No. It was solo. (laughs) I got to keep it spicy. Yeah, you do. Keep you on your toes. That's kind of a missed opportunity. She arranged it with the band, and Mm -hmm. then I think it could have been lovely with the quartet. Yeah, I actually think that the quartet probably would have suited this song more than the band. Yeah. Because they could have either really lifted it or explored that melancholy place. Mm. She did not perform China at all on the Gold Dust Orchestral Tour, but came back in Unrepentant Geraldines to perform this song 12 times. And here is the performance in Istanbul on June 22nd, 2014. in a china shop oh maybe that's why she did it I wouldn't put it past I her i wouldn't either and finally david you know where we are at getting invaded we're getting invaded natively in 2017 tori amos performed this song five times on her native invader tour and you know which one i'm gonna play for you i'm gonna play the very last time she's performed it to date at the Mesa Arts Center in Mesa, Arizona, she performed China following Goodbye Pisces. Up to her old tricks. On November 29th, 2017. Hit it, girl. I can feel the distance. I can feel the distance. Why do you think she pairs it with Goodbye Pisces? They couldn't be more dissimilar in tone, right? 
Yeah, musically, they don't have a lot in common. Is it just think. because of the bull in the china shop, do you think? That's the, the number one reason, for sure. They're both kind of breakup songs, tackling someone who can't give you what you want, mm-hmm. someone who isn't available or kind of takes you for granted. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the curtain call connection as well, right? Oh, yeah, Once of course. Once she wrote Curtain Call in 2009 from Abnormally Attracted to Sin, it started getting paired with Curtain Call as yeah. well. I mean, she talks about China's Wall uh-huh. in Curtain Call. Yeah. Again, I think that's the thread. And from what we know of her, that's enough. That doesn't enough, take yeah. much more. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, it's kind of a poignant pairing because this was, China was written so long ago before she was even like the Tori Amos that we know. And mm-hmm. that Curtain Call is kind of about you know, someone in the twilight of their career, maybe, or when some of their celebrity has slipped away. So it's extra meaningful to pair that with a song from early on in one's career. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You've climbed China's wall in curtain call. If it is a reference to like when she's writing it, if it's a conscious reference to this song, China, then she may be speaking to her former self. Like you've gone and done it. You've done it. You've Bridge the distance, you made it work, you fixed your problems, something, whatever. You, you don't have anything work. left to prove. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which do you think she's paired it with more, Curtain Call or Bi- Goodbye Pisces? I think Goodbye Pisces. Just because it's been here around longer? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. The song itself is four years older? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. How do you think the song has grown over the years? What have we learned from China over the 27 years that have transpired? I don't think it's changed that much, and that's comforting. Mm-hmm. There are certain Tory songs you want to just sort of stay in their original form Mm -hmm. and you know we said there's these are songs that she can play well she's comfortable playing they're classic it's a classic tory song it's still it's you know it shows up regularly so i think it means something to her and it still feels relevant Mm -hmm. somehow it's a heartbreaker well that was fun done it david we climbed china's wall we did well not yet not until we get to curtain call well we're warming we've, up though we've discovered there is a wall we've built the wall around us will we ever climb it stay we tuned stay tuned thank you to everyone listening to our show special thanks to dor dotson and matt seligman for being on our show thank you to all our patreon supporters who are listening and we couldn't shouldn't and wouldn't do this without you if you like what we're doing head over to patreon.com slash songs with amos and become a supporter today if you really like what we're doing follow us on all our social at songs of Tori amos that's across facebook twitter instagram should we get any other platforms, David? MySpace. MySpace? Mm-hmm. This has been fun. What do you think? I liked it. Yeah? <laughs> I always get nervous when you say that. I've said it before. It's like the end of a bad date. You're like, well, this was fun. Call you never. <laughs> Everybody, this is such a favorite culture. Everybody has to have a favorite something. What's wrong with that? Because sometimes you just like something. You're my favorite. That's not true. Anyhow. That's what I get for trying to be vulnerable. Fuck, Mary kill. China, goodbye Pisces, and Curtain Call. Oh, okay. All right. Kill, goodbye Pisces, fuck Curtain Call, and marry China. Um, I would marry Curtain Call. You would, but she's so depressing. I love Curtain Call. I want to be with her forever. I would marry Curtain Call. I'd have to F China and kill goodbye Pisces. Then you ram your hand in your bag. Who would want to marry someone where just the distance keeps getting close forever? Well, I like the song. No, you want to marry someone who, by the time she's 35, she's gone and blown them all. That's what. That's who you want to marry. Got it out of her system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with leather. Of course we will. You're listening to the Pirates Dance Mix right now. And again, head, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a supporter today. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.